Brother Mark said, I got to turn this on, so I better. <clears throat> Tonight, we'll be in Genesis chapter 6. We start with verse 1 and 2, and only God knows how far we get. But let me have a word of prayer, and we'll get right in. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to teach. And when you're teaching to born-again believers, you got to be mighty careful because they know as much about Scripture as a man's teaching. So I pray you'd help me to help them. And Lord, it's an interpretation, not a doctrine. So I thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Who are the sons of God? You might want to ask to go right ahead. <laughs> Not a trick question. It's verse 2. Well, who are the daughters of men in verse 1? There's good godly preachers from 75, 150, 200, 300, 400 years on back that probably won't be able to wait till I get to heaven so they can straighten out. They believe that the sons of God, in verse 2, were angels. Whether they believe they were fallen angels or good angels, I haven't been able to find out. That young man was here this morning and helped me more than... I've, I've been helped since I started studying it because, as many of you know, I'm a big fan of Dr. McGee. I have all of his commentary. I've got Oliver Green's commentary. I've got some books from different people. I've got sermons written out. But nobody, and I mean nobody, comes out plain and says the sons of God are angels. Nor do they come out and say the sons of God are from line of Seth. So it's an interpretation. Now, if I've got... A million pastors in heaven saying, wait till he gets here. I've got a million on this side. says, yeah, go ahead and tell them, boys, because you tell them right. So it's an interpretation. But my interpretation is very simple. I believe that verse 1 is the wicked line of Cain. And that verse 2 is the godly line of Seth. Now, I've got four reasons that I want to pass on to you that I believe that, but only three of them is mine, and I'll give you mine first. <clears throat> first reason is the way God created man and woman, and I want to just turn back to the first chapter of Genesis and lift out uh, two verses, and it's verse 26 and 27. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image in the image of God created he, him, male and female, created he them. Now, it this doesn't seem to go with those two verses to me to say that God has created a woman 
to have a child outside of the way God created them. And so therefore, I do not believe there's any way in the world that a woman and an angel could have a child. And if I'm wrong, I'll get straightened out for it later. Reason number two is how God deals with genealogies, especially in the Old Testament. He always gives the line that's going to drop. And then he drops it. And each and every one of you know some of the people that's been given first and then dropped. Well, look at chapter 4 of Genesis with me. <clears throat> And I, I just want to read the first verse. So Adam knew his wife, and she conceived, and bare Cain, and said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. Now, there's no way in the world that we could stand here tonight or sit there where y'all at and say that Cain doesn't belong to Adam and Eve. Could we? Can't be done. All right. Now, in verse 16 of fourth chapter, through verse 24... We have the first civilization of man, which is Cain's civilization. You remember he killed Abel. He refused to get saved. He lied to God. He went away. Jude verse 11 says Cain went his own way. Might not be exact to quote, but woe unto them for they're going the way of Cain. So we know from... Uh, Brother Clayton's message Wednesday night that Cain went the wrong way. All right, now, verse 16 through 24 is the line of Cain, and it's dropped. It's never picked up again. But look at verse 25 and 26. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son, and called his name Seth, for God said she's hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. And to Seth, to him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enos, and then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Evidently, <clears throat> Seth's son began the first preaching that was on the earth. Then in chapter 5, Verses 1 through 5 is about Adam. And it shows the age he was when Seth was born. And he was 130 years old when Seth was born. And from verse 6 through uh, verse 32, you have the line of Seth. Again, absolutely, positively, no mention of Cain's line whatsoever. And the third reason, it, it, it may be a little hard for, harder for you to understand where I got it, but I just, my interpretation comes from all the Scripture, not just one verse. So, uh, in Deuteronomy, the 22nd chapter, I think it's verses 9 through 11, God gives His chosen people, Israel, Many laws. And he says in those three verses, this is something you can't do. You can't sow two kinds of seed together. You can't 
plow or work your ground with a clean and unclean animal. And if I didn't use the King James, I'd read it, but you know what I'm talking about. The little donkey and an ox. And then <clears throat> they weren't to mix the kind of material that they made their clothes with. They couldn't have wool and linen mixed to make garments. And somebody says, yeah, but that's the nation Israel. True. But Paul carries it over in a way that I think uh, uh, really illustrates what God was saying in Second Corinthians 6th chapter, verse 14, he says, Be not unequally yoked with non-believers. And I believe all my heart that the line of Seth was godly at the beginning, but we must remember that several hundred years went by from time Seth's son began to preach until the flood and I have seen young people that I know are saved get around young people that I know weren't saved, and you can't tell them apart. On the other hand, you can, you can sometimes see an unsaved kid come to Christ, but most of the time, if you leave them alone, the unsaved will get away from the Lord rather than vice versa. Now, <clears throat> verse 3 says, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he is also flesh. Yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. Now, I believe that Moses is saying that God had... Noah to preach for 120 years. And I don't know what his subject was, and I don't know if anybody else does not. But I would say, if I could, had to guess, which maybe I shouldn't, but it was probably on apostasy. One reason I believe that Noah preached on apostasy was because his great-grandfather was a preacher. And during all that time, he was prophesying God was going to judge. And of course, that was Enoch that was translated. But he's in the book of Jude in verse 14 or 15, and he prophesies the Lord coming to, to, to bring judgment. Now, apostasy may or may not have been uh, what he was was teaching, but one thing I do know: the Bible says the Spirit of God was striving with man during that time. And so Peter tells us that the Spirit of God was striving with man during that time. And again, I have said it before I get there. It's an interpretation that some people have that I don't agree with, but it's just an interpretation. And I'll show you when we get there. Let's go over to, to uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, if you would.
I used to take bobby pins and mark all the pages, but run out bobby pins. So it takes me a minute or two to find what I'm looking for. First Peter chapter three, and here we go. Finally, verse uh, eighteen through twenty. It says, For Christ also has suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which he also went and preached unto the spirits in prison. Now this is the part that some people disagree with me on. Hades is the... Greek word for Sheol. This means a place of the unseen dead. And some people believe that Christ went down to Hades and preached to the lost spirits. But if you look at verse 20, the key is uh, the little word when which sometime were disobedient when, once, the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. Now, there's no doubt in my mind that God and men have that interpretation. That's perfectly all right. I don't agree with it. It come up once and I... Uh, just just wanted to bring that out since I was looking at that verse. Now look at the Ephesians chapter 4, if you would. <clears throat> this is what I think happened and how you can get confused. And somebody might say, oh, you're the one that's confused, not me. That's fine. I do get confused. But uh, Ephesians 4, verse 8 through 10. Wherefore, he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things. Now, we understand it from my professor is that when you turn over to Luke 16th chapter and you're looking at 19 through 20 through 31 the poor lost man is talking to Abraham but the Old Testament speaking of Sheol or Hades two compartments paradise side place for the lost and my understanding is that the Lord Jesus brought everybody out of paradise to save side and took them into heaven with him. And there's no change for the men, the women, the lost that was in the other compartment where the lost man is at. And it won't be until the great white throne judgment. Now, that doesn't mean I'm right and everybody else is wrong. That's what I've been taught. So, <clears throat> back to... Uh, Genesis chapter 6, 
And if I haven't got you mixed up by now, i got you on this one, I guarantee you. Verse 4. It says, There were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. Now, can't prove this, but I believe the people who think the sons of God in verse 2 were angels just automatically look at verse 4 and, oh, there's giants because of the union with woman and spirits. Read the verse real close, and I think it'll read this way. There were giants in the earth in those days. There were giants. But it doesn't say the giants were the offspring of the sons of God and the daughters of men. It says there were giants in the earth in those days, but here's what it does say. Uh, uh, let, me, let me read the whole verse. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, they bare children to them. The same became mighty men of old, men of renown. So we understand it. Is that there were giants. And then, when the daughters of men and the sons of God had children, some of those children became mighty men of old, men of renown. And I had a pastor one time telling me that he believed in verse 2 speaks of angels. And some of you know him, so I won't call his name, but... Uh, I didn't agree with him, and he got real upset at me. And when he got upset, I just kind of chuckled. I said, what's wrong with you, brother? He said, you, you know it all. You know everything. Okay. What makes you think that I think I know everything? Well, you always got something to say about everything that's said. And I said, well, pastor, if you tell me you believe the sons of God had children and they were giants, did they go up in the flood? Well, yeah, of course they did. I said, are you sure of that? Yeah, I'm sure of it. I said, well, now, was Goliath son of an angel? Was his four sons sons of angels? Were the Nephilims back in the Old Testament when Joshua and them were fighting them, were they sons of angels? See, I told you, you always got something smart to say. Really, if God destroyed angels and, and, and men and, and angels on the other side of the flood, I'll guarantee you, if that was the only reason, there wouldn't have been no angels on this side of the flood either. You can mark that down. Because our God don't work that way. There's no way in the world He'd wipe out His creation with exception to eight people and uh, allow giants to... Uh, come in this world again by men and women that's not really men, that are angels. I'll never accept that. Uh, Verse 5, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in earth, and that every imagination and thought of his heart was only evil continually. 
What can you say about that? I, <laughs> I, I can't. Every thought, every intent, everything out of your heart is evil. And, and I tell you, I was 40 years old plus a little bit before I got saved. And even that, I didn't have evil thoughts all the time. I'm, at least one hour out of 24, I didn't have too bad when I was trying to sleep. But these people weren't that way. Every, every thought they had was evil. But the Lord Jesus doesn't give us any of the evil things they were doing. The scripture here, pinned down by Moses through the Holy Spirit, uh, he just says they're evil. But look over at uh, Luke, the 17th chapter, what Jesus said. Luke chapter 17, verse 26 and 27. Jesus says, And as it is, or excuse me, and as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage. Until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them. What's wrong with eating? What's wrong with marrying? What's wrong with the mother and dad raising their daughter and wanting her to have a nice wedding? What's wrong with the father and the mother raising the son wanting to have a, a wedding? Nothing. The, that part was not wrong. The thing that was wrong is they never had one godly thought. Nothing they did had anything to do with God Almighty. It was all selfish desires. All wasted on the flesh. Nothing on the spirit. And verse 6 says, Repent the Lord that he made man on earth and grieved him at his heart. You know, um, there's been a, a lot of things said about repenting and salvation and whatever. The only thing I can understand here is that God was just sorry that he actually had made man on earth and he was grieved at his heart because he was going to destroy his creation. Now, I'm sure that Pastor Jake and other people could bring out more than I could there, but I, I don't, I don't have a clue as to how to continue with that. But uh, when I was talking about verse five, I was thinking about Jeremiah nine uh, seventeen nine, Matthew fifteen nineteen, because they both talk about the heart of man, even on this side of the flood, how wicked and and all we we are. The heart is is just bad for all of us. And then verse 7, And the Lord said, I'll destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creating things in the foul air, for it repents me that I have made them. Now, 
Doc McGee's comment says the only reason he didn't mention fish is because he's only going to send more water. And that works for me. But I do wonder if during all the, the trouble of the sea and the, the water and everything, if the fish actually died too. I think they did, but I don't have any way to prove it. Now, verse 8, 8 says, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And when I first got saved, I, I made some kind of uh, crack. It wasn't a bad crack. It was just a crack about uh, I found the Lord or something. That's an expression that we use down south. You know, he got the calling, found the Lord. And uh, this girl that I didn't even know was Christian at the time, she corrected me. She said, you didn't find nothing. I said, what? You didn't find nothing. I said, you come under conviction and the Lord saved you, but you didn't find nothing. So I began thinking about that, and then the first church I belonged to, I <clears throat> asked somebody uh, what it meant to be saved by grace. And I didn't know. And they told me that... Uh, Grace is unmerited favor. I asked somebody else, and they said it's undeserved. I asked somebody else, and they said it's unearned. So I decided that grace must be from God, unearned, undeserved, unmerited. And so then we wonder what in the world did Noah do to find grace? How'd that come about? Because if it's unearned, it makes it sound like he did something to earn it. Well, be, before the Mosaic Law, every father of the family made the offering for the family. The, the, the father was the priest of the family. Uh, Jacob, uh, Abraham, Isaac, on back, even Noah. Remember uh, when... Brother Clayton was speaking there Wednesday night. He's talking about Cain, and Brother Ken said, yeah, he refused to come God's way. Cain didn't care. Some men did care. And and the way I understand Noah uh, being saved by grace was that he made that burnt offering. And that's what what uh, they did then. They, they would make a burnt offering, but it was for the family. And I know that Scripture teaches each and every one of us has got to come to Christ ourselves. And the way I finally got this straightened out in my own head, and it could be wrong, but had uh, had Mrs. Noah refused to get in the ark, she'd have been like Mrs. Lot. She'd have been in a whole lot of trouble. The fact that they got in the ark with their father the three boys, their wives, and his wife, meant that they were were believers. Otherwise, I don't think they would have got in the ark. And I don't know how to explain uh, one person making an offering for the family, but that's what the Word says. Then, uh, verse 9 10 says, These are generations that will know as just men and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. Well, 
One thing I've learned in the years I've been saved is you can't walk with God practicing sin. You can't walk with God with unconfessed sin in your life. So evidently, all time Noah was working, he was probably uh, praying. I don't think they had written Scripture then. I think God revealed it to him. But it's obviously whatever he was doing, he was walking with God. And over in, I can't quote it, but in 1 John chapter 1, 7 through 10, there's a passage there that says, If you're in the light, you're walking in the light without sin, Christ is the light. No, I don't know. You know, you know what I'm saying? Uh, actually, I, I've got it written down there in that notebook, but you, you, you know what, what I'm trying to say is Noah didn't have any unconfessed sin in his life. And because there was no broken fellowship, he walked with God. That's what I'm looking for. If I leave here at night and get in sin tomorrow and don't confess it, when I come back here Wednesday or Sunday, you can take a look at my feet and you say, no, no, he ain't been one with God. Seriously, you, you can tell. You can tell. And so uh, Noah uh, walked with God. Now, he walked with God uh, with God, with unconfessed sin, but how did he walk? You know what, that chapter in Hebrews, 11th chapter, the, the, by faith he, by faith he, by faith he, by faith he. Now, Noah had enough faith in God's Word to begin to build an ark. And he built it to God's blueprint. I don't know what it was. But today, they use, uh, not the exact same thing, but they use much uh, of the architect and the way that Noah built that ark. They still use it in sea-going vessels, big ships that need to, uh, to uh, be up on water for a long period of time. And Noah uh, followed uh, God's blueprint, and he, he built that ark to God's specification. Now, <clears throat> if you come to me and says, I want you go across the street, I'll give that lot to Ambassador Baptist. Pretty and clear. And I want you to build me a boat over there, Bill Wilson. Everything is free and clear. I wouldn't do it. First of all, if I tried it, they'd have the paddy wagon after me, and rightly so, I can't lay brick. I can't build nothing. If I try to drive a nail, I mash my finger. But just imagine Noah being told of God, I want you to construct this ark and this is the way I want it. Now I don't remember maybe I don't remember exactly but it seems to me like it was uh, 450 foot long 
75 foot wide and 45 foot high. Did anybody ever read it? I, I believe that's what it was. And then every living creature, two by two, taken in there to keep, uh, to, to, to recreate. But some of them was for, for sacrifice. So Noah did all that by faith. Now look, look at Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7. Somebody, I finally found it. Thought I was going to have to call in the next shift to find this verse. Hebrews eleven seven. <clears throat> By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not yet, not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness, which is by faith. You know the, the thing that Amazes me more about that than anything else. Noah's faith was really tested. Up until the time he and his family went in the ark, there never had been one drop of rain on the earth. And yet, this man preaches for 120 years and he builds an ark to float. How many people came and made fun of that man and poked fun at him and, and made ridiculous uh, statements about him and jeered at him and, and, and probably called him an old fogey and stupid and you're crazy. Well, so you're thinking, how do you know it hadn't rained? Glad you asked. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 6. But there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. See, when God wanted it to grass to be green, He watered it. When they had enough, He shut it off. Now, Hebrews 9.27, I'm about done, but Hebrews 9.27, I think that's what I'm looking for, yeah. It says, there's pointed a man once to die, and after that, the judgment. Now, how many of those poor people do you believe begin to wander when water started coming out of the sky? How many? I don't know. Could have been hundreds, could have been thousands. But the more it rained, the deeper the water got. I guarantee you that them people came to that ark. And I'll guarantee you that Noah would have loved to open the door and let as many in as possible. But he couldn't. He had nothing in the world to do with it. Noah couldn't help him. Now, why couldn't Noah help him? God shut the door. But I think from the inside. See, if you read the whole, whole passage, and please don't get mad at me, if you read the whole passage, 
God went in and inspected it. The scripture said, and God called them in. So if, if he called them in, in my way of thinking, he went in and inspected first. Now, you probably right. He probably went back outside and closed it. But I know that since the Lord Jesus could go through walls, he could go through the ark also. But when, when the end comes for us, It'll be so quick, we won't have a chance to worry about anybody else in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. We'll all be caught up to meet the Lord in there, so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now, if I can develop it, I'm done for tonight, but if I can develop it, for next Sunday night, I'm going to go back to Genesis chapter 5. And Enoch is a type of the rapture. And the ark is a type of the Jewish remnant being saved through the great tribulation. And, and Enoch had a son named Methuselah. And Methuselah means... When he's dead, it'll be sent. And if you go back to the Old Testament, the fifth and sixth book of Genesis, and check me out on this, that Noah was born when, when Methuselah was 369. The year Methuselah died, Noah was 602 months and 17 days old. When he's dead, it will be sent. Thank God we don't have to worry about water. Nothing like that. And I don't know uh, how it will happen or when, but I believe that each and every one of us are going to hear our own name. And the only thing we'll hear is come up. Let's, let's pray. Father, thank you for the word. And thank you that as a born-again child of God, Death holds no terror for us. To be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. And uh, I pray, Father, that for Jennifer and her family, that even though they know where the aunt is tonight, she's with you and wouldn't come back if you'd let her. But Jennifer and her loved ones suffer. We all suffer when we lose somebody. But thank you, Lord, that Jesus paid the ultimate price so we could all be with each other that's born again and throughout the end. And thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.